It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Market. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Little did I know that when I joined Kaiser Permanente that it would be on my top 10 list for what has made this year great. I can see my physician, I can be referred to the lab, I can then be referred to the pharmacy all in the same building. You, you've got it all. I mean, it's, it's quality of care, it's compassion of care, it's convenience of care. It's terrific. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan of the Mid-Atlantic States, 2101 East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are recording this on Sunday, March 8th. The Cubs are in the middle of two games as we record this in a split squad, as it is known, in Las Vegas and, of course, back in beautiful Arizona. So we will be monitoring those games, see if anything noteworthy is happening live. We always love a love a, love a good live jump in, Brendan, as long as it's good news. Uh, and we, of course, have a few days worth of spring training action to go over. And I, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, repeating myself a lot here, but as it's been on on the last several episodes here, interesting stuff happening on a daily basis, uh, stuff informing what we're going to see coming up in the 2020 season, decisions that David Ross and the front office are going to have to make, maybe becoming a, a little clearer day by day, not all of them, but but some of them, you know, maybe adding some clarity. So plenty to talk about. And Brendan, I I, I want to start. We got we we got more mic'd up goodness from from Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, of mm. course, from Las Vegas. So they're out there playing a couple games there this weekend. 
and Marquis mic'd him up. Uh, a smart move on their part, obviously, after the success like we talked about last time with the ESPN thing. So uh, a smart move on Marquis's part to give Chris Bryant the microphone again. And Brendan, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I wasn't expecting a conversation between Chris Bryant and Ian Happ to be one of the funniest things that I saw all weekend, just given the nature of those two guys, a kind of understated, not necessarily um, as front-facing with their comedy and, and personality, if you will, as, say, someone like Anthony Rizzo. Uh, but that was the funniest thing I saw all weekend. Ian Happ, Corey. This is the year of Ian Happ. He's coming into his own. He's talking about mental health and advocating for more things there. I- I've I've loved what I've seen from Ian Happ just from a media point of view the entire year. Yeah, so the the specific conversation that I'm referencing, they were getting ready to play in the game on Saturday and Chris he he noted this because he was mic'd up. He made it a point to mention that he has a key to the city from Las Vegas over and over and over again. And he he said he was, you know, doing it as a bit because he's mic'd up and he just wants to keep making reference to that. But he was talking to Ian Happ about having the key to the city and Hap was lamenting that he doesn't have a key to any of the cities because he's lived in so many throughout his life. And Chris responds, well, you have to do something cool. So what have you done cool? And Ian Happ replies, well, I opened the 2018 season with a leadoff home run, a first pitch home run. And Chris Bryant replies, that's cool, but is it key to the city worthy? <laughs> and like I said, it's just it, it was an interaction I wasn't necessarily expecting from, from those two guys, but it was quite funny. Uh, and if you go to the marquee, Twitter feed. I, I assume it's on their website as well. You can watch all of the the Chris Bryant mic'd up stuff. There was some good stuff there uh, with Mike Mustakis on the Reds at second base. Yeah, and that KB was good. slid in on a double. Those two just, you know, palling around a little bit. But that was good stuff. Uh, in addition to that, obviously, because they are in Vegas, we got to hear from Mike Bryant on the marquee broadcast. I think that interview with Taylor McGregor was about eight minutes long. It's on the marquee website. Uh, and I think parts of it maybe are on Twitter, but just check the Marquee website. I know it's on there, and that was really good, Brendan, and and I know we gushed about the Chris Bryan interview with Taylor McGregor, um, you know, where he was talking about fatherhood and, and all that other stuff. Um, but this was a really good interview with Mike, and we've obviously been fortunate enough to have Mike on this podcast before and to, uh, you know, have him uh, answer a, a lot of really in-depth questions about Chris and his swing on CubsInsider.com. So, you know, we're, we're uh, certainly familiar with him, but it was equal parts wholesome, talking about Chris growing up and Chris becoming a father soon, and also equal parts kind of classic Mike Bryant in the sense that <laughs> because he was on the, the, the this broadcast, he's using the correct language and, and decorum, but in as nice a way as he can, basically saying, like, Chris is so good that when he has a, quote, down year, right, which is a really good year for most people, a lot of people think the sky is falling. And it was just a very nice way of saying, like, Chris Bryant is really good and a lot of people hate on him 
even, you know, unless he has a top three season in Major League Baseball. So that was really good. I'm I'm sure uh, as someone who has talked to Mike a lot, you really appreciated that interview, Brennan. Oh my gosh, yes. That was classic Mike Bryant. And one of my favorite quotes from that interview was when Taylor asked him, at what point did you think Chris was Major League caliber? And Mike goes, I, I don't want to be that dad, but when, when he was seven years old, I kind of knew. And then he was uh, comparing, and I got to go back and figure out why he was doing this. I think because of his sprint speed or something, but Mike was comparing Chris to a giraffe, which is quite the comparison. But overall, like if you go back and watch that interview, Mike is one of the most genuine people I feel like we've seen around the Cubs just from anyone. And you understand why Chris is the way he is. And you get the the merge of confidence, but a humble nature as well. And it, it was an enjoyable interview. A lot of good bits there. And you just totally understand where Chris gets all of his character from, or, you know, some of his character from as well. Some of the character, but but not as much of the cursing or really any of the cursing. Well, we didn't I'm hear that, sure on, where the, that on the that got lost in yeah. the... <laughs> In in the the lineage, but uh, that that one definitely didn't carry over to KB. But that that was some good stuff, and you know, always I think when guys can get back to where they grew up and where they played, and and we can get some insight into them um, as as humans and, and their family and 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 as players, I think that's that's always cool. A lot of it lately has been Chris Bryant, which certainly I am not complaining about. Uh, but anytime we get it, I think with with any of these guys, it's a lot of fun. So there's your, you know, just kind of like Cubs-related, wholesome, you know, lighthearted start, uh, as I think we we usually like to do before we jump into the nitty-gritty details of everything that's happening in Cactus League play out in Arizona, and then, of course, a couple games out in the Las Vegas area this weekend. And there's a lot of places to start, Brendan, uh, but I think where I would like to go, since we saw... Uh, one of them pitch on Saturday is that fifth starter spot and particularly Alec Mills who continues to look really really good in his outings so far this spring he pitched in the game uh, in Las Vegas on Saturday and he went three and two-thirds innings. He gave up four hits, one earned run, no walks, and three strikeouts. His ERA on the spring now sitting at sub one, 0.93. So again, like these are limited outings so far. It's spring training, right? And, and you know, that caveat I think is always necessary that, we, you know, you don't always want to dial into the numbers. We always caution whether the results are good or whether the results are bad. You, you can't, you don't want to get carried away in them because guys are working on things. The lineups that these guys are facing are, are different on a daily basis, you know, and sometimes feature the best that a team has to offer, sometimes feature uh, guys that won't even be on the major league roster, etc. But Mills has looked really good. And this is a guy who, you know, has certainly shown flashes of this over, you know, uh, certainly last year and, and the times that he's gotten in 
opportunities for the major league Cubs throughout his career. Um, and I, I think especially just watching these games, he's, he's a very intriguing pitcher uh, because he's able to, he, he's got a quality pitch mix. He changes speeds. He's got that big, slow curveball. Um, and, and even on Saturday, you know, he was just generating a lot of, of whiffs and some, some interesting whiffs. You're just seeing him use that pitch mix, change those speeds, curveball, change up, etc. And, you know, he's just one of those guys where you, you kind of like raise an eye where you're like, this guy's this guy's interesting. What he's doing out there is interesting. And the results so far in the spring are are certainly backing that up. And, and before I get your thoughts on it here, I do want to read what David Ross said about this. And this is from friend of the podcast, Jordan Bastian of MLB.com on this, this morning. David Ross saying on Tyler Chatwood, he, quote, remains in the lead for the fifth rotation spot. Ross goes on to say he's got power stuff, but I think Chat's in a really good place and a headspace, and his outings have been very powerful, and he's made a statement. I, I do want to jump in there. I do not like the nickname Chat for Chatwood. Neither I don't know I. why. I'm more but of a chatty type person, but you know, I, I you know honestly like I I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't think everybody needs to be like Chats or you know like. I don't know. It just just reading that quote, I, I don't love it. Um, I would just call him Chatwood, honestly. But that's an aside. Manager David can call people whatever he likes because it's his team now. Um, going on, he did talk about Alec Mills as well. Ross saying, quote, I feel like he's looked great all spring. It's a very easy watch, I would say. Low heartbeat. Reminds me of Kyle Hendricks. Very poised on the mound. Knows exactly what he wants to do. The beat reporters followed up with Ross and asked if Chatwood and Mills could be mixed and matched on the fifth starter spot based on who the Cubs are playing that day, and he said, quote, no, I doubt I'll do anything like that. I'll separate it unless something goes awry or we've got a hole to fill. And Jordan finishing off, uh, you know, paraphrasing, he wants to keep them in whatever roles they earn at the end of camp. So that is kind of the insight that we have from David Ross on what he is thinking right now. We went into the spring uh, from hearing from Tommy Hadovy, I think was the, the first person to kind of put this out there, that Tyler Chatwood was the presumptive favorite for that role and and you know perhaps that it was his role to lose and I don't I certainly don't think that he has shown anything so far in this spring training uh, that would qualify as worthy of losing the role I think what's really making things interesting here is how good Alec Mills has looked and I think that's why the questions came up on Sunday and why we may see a continued conversation about that because I think Mills was probably seen as the second favorite uh, to land that role if it wasn't Chatwood. Uh, And Chatwood has been good, but Mills has been better. And I think that's why that's where the conversation is. Uh, so I don't know if if you have any thoughts on what you've seen from these guys or what we heard from David Ross this morning, but as we've been monitoring a lot of these position battles and decisions that the Cubs are going to have to make, the fifth starter spot is one of the bigger ones. Mills, he gets a lot of attention for his curveball, and and he should. I mean, his curveball is the slowest curveball in Major League Baseball besides maybe one or two other pitchers. And the spin efficiency on that pitch is in the top tier of baseball. So I, I get all the hype about the curveball, but for me, what I'm paying attention to more is his two-seam fastball. And that was the pitch he was talking about improving in the pitch lab. 
And I think the reason he wants to improve that pitch is when you look at his AAA numbers over the last two years, his grounder rate overall has been 40%. That's about five percentage points below the major league average. And with Mills, he's had a home run problem the past two years. Last year with the Cubs in 36 innings, he gave up a home run in 17% of his fly balls. And in AAA, a similar rate of 14%. Of course, the ball is juiced, but those are going to hurt him, especially if he's not going to get a lot of ground balls. But there's this weird discrepancy between his rates in the bigs versus his rates in AAA. So as a Cub in over 50 innings, about 55 innings, his overall ground ball rate is actually 50%. So it's a lot different than his ground ball rate, which was 40% in AAA. So why, why is that happening? Is it more of a pitch selection thing that he's getting more of in the bigs and not actually in AAA? And more so, is that going to continue into this year in a larger sample size? But for him to get more grounders, I think that two-seam fastball, he wants to improve that two-seam fastball. And that's the one pitch he has that is the most ground ball inducing. Of course, it's a stinker. So of course, it's going to happen. So I'm more so looking at what that two-seam is going to look like over the course early on in the season. And so far, just watching the games, it's hard to find these small differences without any type of data. But he was using the two-seam, I feel like, you know, his normal usage once every four pitches. And again, it's hard to to see the differences, but it looks good in my eyes. And at least for his curveball and his sinker, those two pitches are a little bit more similar in release point than that between his curveball and his four-seam fastball. So two things I'm looking for with Mills. One, what will that two-seamer look like once we get data? And two, will he actually throw more two-seamers than four seamers to get more grounders. And because his release point between his curve and his two seamer is much closer than that between his four seam and his curveball. But I, I like Mills. I always have liked Mills. The thing with him is that I don't understand the numbers in AAA versus the bigs. It doesn't make much sense to me because with the Cubs and AAA, his ERA has been on average five over the past two years in 225 innings. But with the bigs, it's around three with so much better numbers from his strikeout rate, from his home run rate, from his grounder rate. It doesn't make sense why there's this difference. But visually, I like his stuff. I love the curveball. I love the unorthodox release point. He's a release point lower than 85% of right-handed pitchers in, in Major League Baseball. I like everything he brings. I just want to see more of it before we get fully on the bandwagon, which I'm close to you know, being on. But Chatwood getting the first chance makes sense to me. And with Mills, I can see him being utilized as like a three-inning guy in long relief, kind of like that Mike Montgomery option we've seen over the past few years. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, 
at home or on the go. Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Right. So Mills is out of options. So this is something where he, he'll, he'll make the team. Obviously, he's performing to a level that he, he's definitely going to make the team. Uh, it's just a question of, like Ross said on Sunday morning, what these what the roles are. And we've seen the Cubs have success with guys in that role over the last few years, that, that kind of swingman role, guy that can fill in for a spot start if they need to, but, you know, can also kind of bridge the gap to the later parts of the bullpen by throwing, you know, an inning or two in the middle of games and, you know, kind of moving, lengthening the game a little bit, uh, or shortening the game, I guess I should say, uh, for David Ross and Tommy Hadovy. So I think that would be an interesting spot for him. Um, and, yeah, like like I said kind of at the outset, I, I don't think that while he, he's not performing as well as Mills has necessarily, uh, I don't think that Chadwood has shown you anything that would warrant concern or, or you know, kind of going back on him having that fifth starter spot. He's been good. Um, you know, his command has been spotty in a, in a couple instances, but like overall, he, he looks vastly improved yeah. from you know that that first go around as a starter that he had with the Cubs and I think that if they went in with the plan to give him that shot I I have not seen anything that would suggest he does not deserve that I, I have a question for you and it yeah, just came sure. to my mind we have Chatwood we have Mills they're competing for the fifth spot more than likely Chatwood gets that spot but the way that I'm thinking about this and it's it's maybe an unpopular opinion but Mills versus Chatwood as a bullpen guy, Chatwood would seem to be more valuable in a bullpen role than Mills would be in a bullpen role because Chatwood can throw out of the pen 98, 99. Right. He has that disgusting stuff. And for him, the command is not much of a problem when you're not exposed against the order multiple times. So part of me is wondering while Chatwood is like, he has better stuff and he's probably better than Mills right now as a starting candidate. But part of me wonders if having Mills in the rotation and then Chatwood as a bullpen guy, if that provides the biggest sum value. You know what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say here? Yeah. Rather than having you know Chatwood just start the year in the rotation. Maybe it makes more sense to have Mills start and utilize Chatwood in a more high leverage relieving type role. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that logic. I think there's different ways to put this together, but I think that Chatwood was really good in that role once he settled in in the 2019 season. And like you said, the, the stuff obviously plays up when it's condensed a little bit and he's, he's coming out of the bullpen. And he was just really good in that role in so many of those games. I mean, how many times do we come on here and talk about like his performances out of the bullpen really saved some of those games because yeah. he was able to go a few innings and just mow through the order. Uh, so I, it seems, and it kind of always has seemed since this spring started, since we heard Tommy Hadovy say that he was the presumptive favorite, that they want to capitalize on that, right? They 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 feel like he turned the corner with the command problems from what we saw when he first came over in free agency, and they want to continue on that path to turn that into what they envisioned in terms of him being in the rotation. Uh, but I I do see the logic there. He, he was a valuable guy out of that bullpen. The stuff plays up, 
And I, I, I do think that makes some sense, but that just doesn't seem to be the direction that they have wanted to take things really since day one. But that, that, that is kind of why we're even on this subject, because I think that it's because Mills is, is performing so well and looking so well so far in the spring that it is kind of making you ask those questions, right? Like it, when, when you went into it, maybe you thought, okay, we want Chatwood to be there. We'll see what these other guys do, but maybe you're not expecting anybody to really push the conversation that heavily. But, you know, Mills is looking really good. I mean, I know yesterday during the game on Saturday, a lot of people on my timeline uh, were talking about how good he looked, how good the stuff looked, and how you know intriguing that, that situation was. And so, you know, then you're able to say, okay, well, you know, maybe if we have another guy, maybe what is the best usage of Chatwood? But yeah. that that doesn't really seem to be what the Cubs are thinking. I think they want Chatwood to be in that fifth spot, and I and I think they really want to see if they can get the player that they envisioned when they signed him in free agency. That that guy with the the really great stuff, the great spin, the velocity, and let's turn that into a really powerful arm at the back end of this rotation. So I think un, uh, unless he goes out and the command stuff pops up again, or, you know, it just doesn't work. I, I That just seems to be the direction that they want to go. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this. But Mills is certainly making things interesting. And obviously, we've got, I think it's just over two weeks uh, until opening day on the 26th. So, you know, you'll see these guys a few more times. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always, I would be surprised, like, if something happens that really drastically changes how things are looking right now, um, you know, because even if one of them has, say, one bad spring training outing, like that's, I, I don't think, going to be enough to really move the needle on something. I think it would have to be something pretty drastic, um, and that's kind of hard to envision in two and a half weeks. But again, that's that's why we've been kind of monitoring this. Uh, it's it's definitely one of those spots that the Cubs are making a, a decision. And, and, you know, I think right now you have two guys who are really making it interesting. So good on Alec Mills for doing that. You know, that's that's one of those things that we were keeping an eye on once spring training started was, uh, is this Chatwood's job and is anybody going to push it? And I think Mills is doing just that. I just don't know uh, if anything is going to happen that's, that's ultimately going to change anything. So I do want to talk about another starter. I think we're going to talk about a few starters here. I I just want to point out really quickly before we move on to a, a longer topic, Kyle Hendricks looked really good folks. And we, and we talked about how the velo was up, especially for where we are in the, the calendar. Uh, but he's got a, a flat one ERA on, on the spring training so far. He went four innings in the other split squad game back in Arizona on Saturday, two hits, one earned, one walk, four strikeouts. And he just looks really good. And we talked about it last time, how you know, he'd been working with one of those, uh, you know, data places, not driveline, but like one of those similar places and kind of warning everybody like, you know, Kyle Hendricks with a little couple ticks on his fastball is going to be a pretty dangerous pitcher given how good he already is. And he just looks uh, ready for business here in, in, in spring training. So I'm, I'm very excited to see Kyle get going. Uh, he was a finalist for the Cy Young in the 2016 season, uh, which is actually the same season, Brendan, that he started Game 7 of the World Series that Wish the Cubs won, go yeah. on to win. Mm-hmm. Yep, correct. So, yeah. you know, I hopefully those types of things can align again because, you know, that whole situation was pretty cool. 
but I'm excited for that. He looks really good, and it just seems like one of those years where we might see the professor do some really special stuff. But as I am often, you know, liable to do, I, if you'll allow me, Brendan, would like to talk about John Lester. To be fair, this was my idea to talk about Lester for today's episode. So it was, uh, and I was easily convinced. Sometimes you have to direct that because otherwise the whole show would mostly just be about John Lester anyway. So uh, sometimes you have to jump in and, and give me the green light to go back to that. But he looked quite good on in Friday's game, uh, and his command, I think, was what really stood out. That was something that stood out to me. It was something that the, you know the beat writers and a lot of the people watching the game were pointing out that he just seemed to have that command that uh, at times, I think, in the 2019 season especially, just wasn't there for him. And I think in in some of those games, you can right away tell, like you know, he's not he's not placing everything on those edges exactly like he's he's. Uh, you know, relying on doing and something that he's done throughout his career. So he he went two and two thirds on Friday, four hits, one earned, two walks, six strikeouts, getting some whiffs, placing the ball where he wanted, and just looks really good. And you know, reading through some of the comments from him, he's always been a guy, and we've heard this I think a few times throughout this off season that is is going to be one of those guys that says, "Look, like you can sleep on me if you want. I understand that my stuff isn't as good." as it used to be, but I'm going to go out there, I'm going to grind, and I will not be taking the mound if I don't think that I can do what I want to be doing and, and can't be effective and you know be someone that every five days this team can give the ball to and rely on to give them a good start and you know battle in these individual at-bats and you know grind through and try to give a productive start that keeps the team in the game, gives them a chance to win. So I... You know, obviously 2019, uh, a lot of those games didn't go the way that uh, I or any of us or John in particular wanted. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I would always caution, like you you can sleep on John Lester or, or count him out at your own peril because I think he's talked a lot this offseason about the workout regimen that he's done, feeling in better shape than he has in a long time, uh, being in better shape than he has in a long time. And, you know, Friday was one of those games where you go, okay, that looked really good. If he can keep building on that and he can have command like that, I think he's going to have a much better season in 2020. And he talked in, I think this was in an article on the Sun-Times about how, and, and we've said this before, I know I said this a million times last year, right? Like, because this was true last year. He's not the ace of this team. And this is what John was talking about himself. He goes, I'm not the ace of this team, and I think it's good that I'm not the ace of this team. He was saying in this article that he's hoping that some of the stuff that he's done while he's been there and in his career and over the last few years has rubbed off on Kyle Hendricks and Hugh Darvish in particular, who are the aces of this rotation, right? It, I mean, I you know, you can pick and choose who actually is. It doesn't really matter. It's just semantics. But you don't need John Lester to be the best pitcher in this rotation. But John Lester being better than he was in 2019 and being, like he described, that reliable presence every fifth day is really important for this team. Because I think you and I both, Brendan, have extremely high expectations for what you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks in particular are going to do in this season. Those are going to be the guys that I think at the end of the year, if there is a candidate for the Cubs, 
fighting for the Cy Young or, or any of those situations. It, it, it'll be one of those two, I would think. But John being a strong presence in the middle of that rotation would be very, very important uh, for this team. I think that goes without saying, but, you know, we spend so much time focused on you and Hendricks and, you know, what their ceiling is and what kind of crazy stuff they're going to be able to do. And, you know, if you can build on his second half from last year, that we sometimes don't focus enough attention just on, like, how important John and Q and, and, and you know, in particular— being good and reliable middle of the rotation guys to kind of supplement those two at the top it, it, just how important that is so it was good to see from John on Friday and I know Brendan you were kind of digging into some of the more mechanical stuff that John has been talking about and some of the stuff that maybe we can expect from him in the 2020 season we've been talking about John's change up for two years and I think it was, what, a week and a half ago, saying that I was monitoring what the changeup would look like and how often he would throw it once opening day started. But in John's latest interview with 670 The Score, he actually talked down on that changeup. And he talked up on his cutter. And he was saying how last year there came a point where he was not really trusting his entire pitch sequences and he thought at a time that it made more sense to throw change-ups and to increase his other pitch usages instead of throwing his cutter and he said that was wrong he said that was the wrong thing to do for him but now this spring he's not really focusing so much on that change-up he's focusing on getting that cutter back where it was in previous years and that was that was news to me. I hadn't seen that before. And John, while he was not talking specifically about spin rate and all that, he was talking down on that as well. He did say he's looking, again, keywords here, spin efficiency. He's working on his spin efficiency with that cutter. I think that's your new catchphrase. Brandon. I know. I, I love it. So looking at that cutter, right, the question I had was, when in 2017, when he had a velocity dip, how did his cutter look? Was his cutter still good? And the, the answer to that is yes. In fact, compared to 2016 and 2017, he got more cutters on the ground as ground balls versus righties than he did in 2016. So despite the velocity dip in 2017, he had more ground balls. That's That's notable for one reason and one reason only we are assuming that john lester's velocity dip is going to hurt him and it and it has to a degree but it's not the end-all be-all because even when john lester increased his velocity from 2017 to 2018 now the cutter was more in the air and he got fewer whiffs so the velocity is not for him the end-all be-all for him it's how do you maximize that cutter against righties and what John is trying to do is increase that spin efficiency. Because if we have any type of proof of concept, it's the 2017 year when he didn't have to rely exhaustively on having a fast cutter. But in 2017, he had more ground balls, more whiffs against right-handed batters for reasons that we don't know. Maybe the spin efficiency in 2017 on that cutter was better. But I'm kind of backing off and looking at that changeup and instead looking at that cutter. Because last year, Corey, 
Lester was still valuable. He was better than league average. He had a FIP of 4.26. That's better at the time than the league average FIP of 4.5. That was worth three wins above replacement. I know it was like a top-heavy performance last year. In the first half, he was so much better. But if you can even get that value, the same value next year, a three-win season from Lester would be huge. And I think he has it in him. I think the only thing that's going to really play against John Lester is if the age throws him off the cliff. But if he's going to throw 89, 90, 91, but he just slightly improves that cutter to an area where he's comfortable with, I have no problem expecting he can be at least league average. And that's honestly exactly what this rotation needs right now. Yeah. And so just to read a quote from John, again, this article coming from the Sun-Times, he said, quote, last year I started nibbling so much, backdoor cutter, ball, sinker, ball, change up strike. I'm behind in the count and letting them put their sights on me. I'm letting them win before the game has even started. And that's obviously kind of going off of what you were detailing, Brendan, but it's it's just another one of those things that like these guys are are looking at this stuff. They're going to make adjustments. And I've said it a lot. Like, I think if I trust anybody to make those adjustments and try to dial in on how he can be more effective, I I, I trust it to be John. And we know he's not a numbers guy. We know he's not, uh, you know, probably like sitting there with Hadavi in the pitch lab, looking at all these little metrics and numbers and stuff, but they find a way to communicate that to him. They find a way to, you know, meet in the middle and be able to understand those things and make those changes. However, John is (laughs) amenable to receiving it. So, I, again, like I'm not expecting the world for him, but you, you shouldn't be. And, and he admits as such, like this is not his rotation anymore. And, and that's fine, right? You have guys who are capable of carrying that load. Uh, but if John can get back with the command and, and, and be more effective, this rotation looks quite strong, right, all of a sudden. And I think it's been one of those areas of concern, you know, how are, how, are, how is Lester going to look? How is Q going to look? What's going to happen with that I'm fist I'm more spot? concerned but, about Q than I am about Lester, though. I, 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 I just, oh, no again, question. Yeah, yeah. But, but I feel like the perception is the opposite. I feel like people are more concerned about Lester than they are about Q. And maybe that's because of the Pakoda projection. But for my perspective... Because John has five pitches, and because he has so many different ways to get batters out, I'm less concerned about it. For Q, we know the issue. It's been the two-pitch thing he has going, the fastball curveball. When one of those is not working, he's done. He's going to get tagged for seven runs at five innings all the time. So I'm more concerned about Q than I am about Lester. Yeah. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, again, we, we have to see how these results shake out once the season has started and they're they're actually playing real games. But I, I thought John looked really good on Friday. And I think that, you know, just hearing from him all offseason, he, he's made a lot of specific points to be better than he was in the 2019 season. And I, I, I really think that uh, of all the people you should be giving the benefit of the doubt to, I, I know you would expect to hear this from me, but I think his track record really does speak for itself. I, I don't know why you wouldn't give John Lester the benefit of the doubt to make adjustments and try to put himself in a better spot to succeed. And he talks about in this article in the Sun-Times, like, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go out there just to rack up stats, right? Like, I'm not taking the ball every fifth day just so that I can, you know, climb up the innings list or the wins list, because I think he's like the third active win leader in Major League Baseball. 
and he doesn't care about that, right? Like, and, and he goes into really great detail, like I said in this article, about how I want every fifth day everybody in the Chicago Cubs organization to know that I am taking the ball to give them my best effort and they can rely on me to be that person. And so I, I think you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, he also talks about like when I know it's time to walk away and, you know, I don't have it anymore, then that's what I'll do. So I think as long as he believes in himself and the ability to make those changes, I think you guys know me well enough to know that I am definitely going to be right there with him. But on a lighter note in this same article, I do want to read this quote because I feel like this quote from Chris Bryant is equal parts perfect for Chris Bryant and equal parts perfect for John Lester. And it just, uh, it, it put a smile on my face. And, and, and Chris Bryant said, when I first got here, I was like, this guy's so mean. He just mean mugs you all the time. But as I got to know him, I realized how unbelievable the guy is in everything he does. He's provided so much for this organization and team, and people want to say he's on the downturn. I see this guy every day. Just because it could be his last year, he's not like, I'm good. He's like, no, I'm going to make this the best damn year I've had here. I would never bet against John Lester. Wait, God. Chris said damn? According to this article, no, <laughs> no, it's in quotes, Brendan. I don't know what to tell you. Hold on, that 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 would be you no know, sound the alarm here. That would be the first well, somewhat expletive. It, it may ever. have been an interview that took place out in Vegas, so he's been back with Mike. True. You know, maybe it just it got, uh, it got off. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah, it, you're burying it the brings lead him here. out of him. Yeah, you're burying the lead. Well, that's, well, that's what we, well, talk we can about. assume he said "darn." I, I guess right, uh, but either way, it's like. If Chris Bryant is telling you not to give up on John Lester, don't give up on John Lester. Don't. You don't have to take it from me, yeah. right? Don't take give up on John Lester. MVP, a it. rookie of the year. Take it from Chris Bryant, right? Yeah. But I, I loved the beginning of that quote more than anything, just because Chris Bryant getting there and thinking John was mean is so perfect for both of them, right? Innocent Chris Bryant shows up in the dugout. And, you know, there's veteran, like the grizzly John Lester, you know, never smiling and being all pissed off and blowing snot rockets and yelling at the umpire. And Chris, you know, his immediate impression is like, gosh, like, the, you know, this guy's uh, really something. But, <laughs> you know, obviously uh, you get to know him and that's not how it is. But yeah, so like, I, look, I, I think I try to, I, I wanted especially to let Brendan detail a lot of the mechanical stuff and, you know, some of the repertoire stuff, be, because Brendan is an expert on that stuff, firstly, but also because I think sometimes it, it is, it maybe doesn't ring uh, 100% honest, I guess, when I talk about John Lester, because you guys know that like, I would ride or die with John Lester in literally any situation. Um, but I, 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 like, honestly, like laying all my cards on the table, I told everybody at the beginning of last year, and, and especially once he started struggling after he, uh, you know, he was like the ERA leader at the end of April or whatever it was after that start, uh, when they swept the right. Brewers, I think at Wrigley Field on Sunday Night Baseball. And some some parts of the 2019 season were fun, Brendan. It's, yeah. it's weird how yeah. how much that fell off. It's a, a distant cliff. memory, like, Corey. It was it was really fun for like a little bit, but I digress. Uh, 
I I told y'all, like, he's not the ace of this team. If you are freaking out about John Lester struggling in some of these games, you had the wrong expectations, and that's coming from someone who's one of his biggest fans on earth, right? And I I think it's it's similar going into this year. Like this is the last year of his contract, which makes me sick, Brendan. I it, every time I read that, it makes me sick. He's coming back, Corey. Relax. But it's like it's the last year of his contract. He's already given you everything and more what you brought him here for. He's been so far beyond what they paid him and everything. He's a Chicago Cubs legend. But he's, he really is one of those guys who is not going to go out there, and if he thinks he's going to stink and it just isn't there anymore, he's not going to do it. So he's going through this process. He's getting himself in better shape. He's working on these changes. You really should believe in John Lester to be effective. I'm not telling you, and he's not going to tell you, that he's going to go out there and win the Cy Young, and it's going to be Jacob deGrom versus John Lester for the best pitcher in the National League. I don't think that's going to happen, right? Honestly. But I, I really genuinely believe that he will do whatever he can to make those adjustments, to change his mechanics, to change his pitch usage, to change his workout regimen, whatever he has to do to improve on the season that he had last year and to each year continue being a reliable option, like he said, on every fifth day that they give him the ball. So that would be where I would ask you to have your expectations for John Lester. He is not, nor do the Cubs need him to be, the best pitcher in this rotation. But I do believe that he will be an effective pitcher and someone that we all are glad to give the ball to every time he takes the mound. So that is my uh, official stance on John Lester as we head in to the 2020 season. And I, I will also, I'll end by saying that it's still so weird to me when he came out of the game, uh, or no, I think it was in between innings, like there was a good picture that maybe Jordan Bastian posted of Lester walking into the dugout and fist bumping David Ross. And I, I don't know when David Ross being the manager will not still kind of seem weird to me, but there was just something so weird about John Lester in uniform, like coming off the mound, fist bumping David Ross standing in the manager's spot, like in his hoodie and sunglasses and whatever. And like, I'm just like, it feels like we're in like an alternate universe almost just because of how many times we've watched them obviously do this on the field together and come off of the field together. It was just like, this is still so strange to me. I know, he, you know, he's only been, because uh, he was sick for those first few games. David Ross has only been managing these games for a few weeks now. So I, maybe I shouldn't expect it to not be weird, but it's it's still really weird to me that David Ross is is the manager of the Chicago Cubs. So anyway, moving on, I think the last place that we are going to go here on this Sunday is to what I believe, and I don't know if you officially announced this, Brendan, but I believe that your new guy, right, if you if you have a guy, since we were just talking about my guy, right, uh, I, I believe, even though I don't know if you announced it in an official capacity, that person is Nico Horner, uh, and he has had himself a nice spring, and obviously one of the topics of discussion in this offseason and going into the spring, especially after the way he contributed at the end of the 2019 season, especially once Javi got hurt uh, and a certain someone else was a useless pile of garbage, as they always were. Uh, 
it's been an interesting debate. Was he going to make the team? Was he going to be sent down to start the year to just kind of like get a little bit more uh, polish on him before they they really hand over the reins at second base to him or something along those lines? Uh, so tell me what you've seen from. I, can I can I call him your boy? Is 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 that? Yeah, is that fair? I think it's fair. Okay, I think it's fair. All right, great, great. Glad glad we got that uh, out in the open. So. Talk to me about your boy, what you've seen from Nico this spring, what you think the plan now is now that we're a a few weeks here. I I think there's a lot of talk, and especially from people who you should listen when they say it, right? Like that that Kipnis is definitely in line to get some chunk of that second base role. That seems to be a foregone conclusion from beat writers, people watching. Like that just seems to be a direction that they are going. Uh, so where do you, do you think that their, their plan for Nico has changed at all? Um, and if they do ultimately start him down, talk to us a little bit about what exactly you would like to see in that time and what you think the Cubs organization, and they've talked about this, but what you think that they would like to see from him. Because this is not a situation where he should be on the team right now. This isn't a Chris Bryant situation, right, is, is basically what I'm saying. Like, they're not holding him down. If they, if they were putting him down, it would be for legitimate reasons. So can you maybe just like sort of break down the Nico situation for I got us? It. Talk I got to it. us about Nico. I'll, I'll give you the floor here for a while. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. So Nico has a few things to work on. He's, he's got to iron these things out before he's a full-time major leaguer, in my opinion. And the first area of improvement for him is that discipline, Corey. So he was successful at times when he got called up last year in you know not the best of circumstances. But in his playing time, in consistent playing time, he was swinging at a pitch outside the strike zone at a 49% clip. That would qualify if that was an actual large sample size, a qualified one. That would be the highest rate in Major League Baseball. So Javi Baez, as a comparison, as we know, he swings at a lot of balls outside the zone. He swings at those pitches 43% of the time. But the difference between 49 and 43 seems minimal. But again, think about it. We're talking about, you know, on average, four to five pitches per at-bat. That's a lot of pitches Nico is swinging at outside the strike zone. So he's got to improve that. And once he does improve that, a lot of the numbers, a lot of his value is going to spike up because if we break down his contact rates by zone, inside the strike zone, he makes contact on over 90% of pitches. 
So he has the bat-to-ball contact ability. For him, it's that plate discipline that he needs to improve. And I think he will improve it. And another note too, looking at Nico this spring, he, he looks like a different person. Not many people are mentioning this. And we always joke about, you know, the best shape of your life in spring training, but Nico noticeably gained more weight, Corey. He looks like a bigger dude. And the power, while it wasn't really evident in his limited playing time in the minors, I think he has more room for power. I really do. And just looking at how he's performing in the spring, he's driving the ball on Sunday's game. He had a, a rocket right to center field. And then on uh, Saturday's game, he hit a ball right off the warning track. And so he's driving the ball really well. And I, I'm curious to see what that looks like in more consistent playing time and how that looks this season out of the gate. And one other noticing, uh, noticing that we need to look at is his spray chart. So last year, he was pulling the ball almost exhaustively and almost exclusively, either center field or pulling the ball. And Nico is not that type of hitter. He's going to have to rely on going to other sides of the field, going to right field as well. And so, again, if we compare what Nico looked like to Javi in, let's say, 2016, when Javi was getting a little bit more frequent playing time. In 2016, Javi was pulling the ball under 20, I'm sorry, going to the opposite field under 20% of the time. Now, last year, he was going oppo almost 30% of the time. And we saw it. That was evident. That was a, a tangible change that he wanted to make. Nico last year was pulling the ball around 50% of the time and only going oppo under 17% of the time. So he's going to have to fix that. And what did we see in these last few games? Well, in Sunday's game, he had a line drive to right field. He took a fastball on the outside portion of the plate, stayed with it, drove it, line drive to right field. So I think if Nico can improve his plate discipline and kind of take what's thrown to him and go to the opposite field with more regularity, he can get called up pretty fast. I don't know what the role will be or the timeline will be for Nico, especially because we're still trying to figure out second base with Oscalso and Bodie and you know everyone going on right there with Kipnis as well. I don't know what the timeline is going to be, but out of the gate, if Kipnis is not providing the value that you expect or Bodie is struggling, which I don't think he's going to do, but if he is struggling and if Nico's performing, I... I could see Nico coming up pretty fast. I really could. I could see him coming up within the first month, even if Bodie and Kipnis are not providing the value that Theo wants. Yeah, I, I think that'll be obviously. I don't know that that'll necessarily affect uh, Nico's. If they think Nico's ready and they want him to get major league playing time, he's obviously an important piece for this organization. So I'm not sure how much those guys' performances will affect it, but I, I do think like that may change the urgency around it. I, I well, think no, if, I, if I Kipnis, feel like if. If Kipnis and uh, Bodie are performing, though, they're going to get more playing time. And if Nico gets called up, he's not going to get the at-bats they need him to do, to like, develop, right? So I think it does have a, an effect to how Kipnis and how Bodie perform on, on Nico's viability as a major leaguer, at least in the short term. Yeah, I, that that is, that is fair. I, I think uh, the more and you know interesting maybe isn't the right word would be is if those guys struggle, you know, then it kind of places that urgency. Like, okay, like I know we wanted Nico to 
be working on some stuff, but we kind of need somebody to step in here. But I, I, I would expect that those two can handle the the job quite well. I, I, I would be surprised if they don't. So it's, it's an interesting situation, but one of those things that you have to remember is it was pretty, at least I was surprised when he got the call and the, the role that he did to end the 2019 season. And as we talked about with some of these other guys before, like Nico is really young and he is a big part of the future plans for this organization. So it's it's one of those things where I, I think there are a lot of people who want to see him immediately and were excited by the way that he played in 2019. Uh, but this is one of those areas where you, you have to prioritize Nico's development and making sure that that is right and that you are doing everything you can to help him grow into the player that you want him to be, not necessarily just asking yourself, okay, what what are the 2020 Cubs doing and what is the best move for them or etc. Like you, you have to prioritize Nico's development and I think that that's what they're ultimately going to do and I think that Kipnis and Bodie, however that shakes out, should be able to hold things down until he is ready. And then, like you were just saying, Brendan, we'll see how they ultimately address that if one or both of those guys have, you know, kind of taken a hold of the position, which I think is certainly possible. Um, I think for both of them, I think, or they end up dividing that time. I I can see that working out uh, at least to a moderately successful degree. So definitely something to keep an eye on there. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I mean, obviously Nico is uh, going to be a big presence in this organization going forward. So definitely something worth keeping your attention on as we go forward here. And and again, you know, over these last few weeks of spring training, I think between the four guys that we're talking about here, Nico, Kipnis, Bodie, Descalso, like I, I would be surprised if, you know, one of them does something in the next two and a half weeks uh, that really drastically changes the way we're looking at things now because I think Kipnis has been he's looked pretty good he he makes some good contact uh has had some nice hits you know we know what Bodie has shown over the last few years Descalso's putting up awful numbers in the spring which I you know I think you guys know Brendan nor I are particularly surprised about uh and Nico looks good and you know seems to be on that path of you know kind of exactly where everybody expected so We'll see what happens over these next two and a half weeks, but that is kind of where that uh, that situation is, and that's one of those primary battles that we have. So before we sign off here, I do want to ask you, uh, I want to go back to something that we've talked about before, and I think it's not, I don't want to be projecting when I ask this question, I okay. swear, okay. Uh, but I do think it's something that listeners and and readers and and fans of this team are going to be asking themselves and and I'll give you an opportunity to perhaps uh calm their concerns but talk to me about Rowan Wick and Craig Kimbrell two guys who I think the Cubs are expecting and hoping to be literally the back end of their bullpen probably one two in that regard uh and Rowan Wick has gotten hit hard in some of these he got hit hard again uh in the Las Vegas game on Saturday and Craig Kimbrell pitching on Sunday and giving up another home run and the velo not there yet and I know we talked about this last time after he made his debut uh 
Don't want to read too much into results. I'm not changing that. Uh, we don't know what these guys are working on, and they've been pretty clear about Kimbrel needing that time to ramp up and get that velo that he needs. And if you've followed Kimbrel throughout his career, he's one of those guys. He needs the velo. It's, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, uh, but he, you know, his fastball is a, a straighter fastball, so he needs that velo to be up there to blow it past hitters. Uh, so he's talked about needing that time to ramp up. Up there, not worried about where he's sitting, but I do think that there are going to be a, a fair number of people who look at those two guys uh, getting hit pretty hard uh, uh, frequently. Kimbrel, both times we've seen him, and Wick, at least in some of the outings that he's had in this spring, and you know maybe you're uh, a little concerned here a couple weeks out before the season. But what say you, Brendan Miller? I have no concerns, and this we have to remember too. We have no idea what these guys' individualized programs are. I can at least speak for Wick a little bit more confidently than Kimbrell just because Wick's been on TV more, but I've actually been impressed with what Wick's been doing. I know he give, he's given up, what, two or three homers at this point? Don't, don't care at all for a variety of different reasons. But with Wick, he's throwing in the expected velocity range you want him to be at. And he's working on new pitches, man. And his curveball still looks exactly the same way it looked last year. So if you're concerned about Wick's performance in spring training, try to separate out the results from what it actually looks like. And these are like three to four to five innings. We have, you know, it's such a variable, dumb sport at times. But when you try to reduce it down to a small spring training sample within two weeks, you can't take anything away from it other than what the pitchers are talking about and how they just look. And I think Wick's looked pretty good. I've been impressed with him. I have no concerns about Wick. For Kimbrell, it's the same type of discussion. It's been two outings now. I know he's sitting between 94 and 96. The first time out for Kimbrell, he said his velocity is where he wants it to be at this time of year. That's good to see. And it's what exactly it was in the last outing on Sunday, 94, 95, 96. Again, Campbell gave up two home runs in his first two outings. I get some of the concern, but wait wait and see. Again, we have no idea what Tommy Hotovy wants Kimbrell to work on. We have no idea what Kimbrell himself is working on. There's been times where pitchers, they're going to work on one particular pitch or one particular thing, and that's all they're going to do. Didn't we hear even John Lester talk about that in one of his like simulated games, right? We don't know if some of these relievers treat these games as simulated games. So I think for the time being, we can't interpret or overinterpret what any of the numbers are, even for the good ones, even for Hendricks, even for Mills. What we can look at is how does their stuff look? How do some of the numbers, like velocity, where, where is that? Even that can be a little bit dangerous. But those are some of the results at least I'm looking at. I don't care about earned run average. I don't care about the home runs at this point. I care if they're healthy. I care how they look. And I care what their takeaway is from the outing. And so far, mostly every pitcher on the Cubs has had positive things to say about themselves or confident things to say about themselves. The one guy I'm concerned about right now is Quintana. I think that's the one person to look at and be like, you know, is is he going to be okay come opening day? Because he had the flu. The flu set him back. His velocity was 89 his first start out. It was 90, 91 uh, in his second start out. I'm a little concerned that his delayed uh, progress in getting ready for the season may have an effect early on. Outside of Q, I'm pretty confident even with Wick. And for Kimbrell... 
we have to wait and see, Corey. Yeah, I like I said last time. I I'm not I'm not worried about Wick. Wick I think was was so good and effective last year. Um, I, I, yeah, I I don't really care about his spring training performance. If he struggles in actual games, then fine. But him, I'm not I'm not even really thinking about. Again, just asking the question. And like I said last week, I I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as concerned about Kimbrel. I'm just waiting to see him not give up home runs. Uh, when you said that to me. Before we, it was like right before we started recording this episode, Brendan said, "Hey Corey, don't look at, don't look at Twitter." And I'm like, "Why? Like, what could possibly be going on?" And he's like, "Uh, Kimbrel gave up another home run," and I'm like, "Oh man!" Like, again, like you said, he he's he's working on stuff, he's ramping up, and and I think he's he's a clearer situation. Like, we know he needs to be at that velo, like I just said, to blow guys away right? It's it's not a fastball that has crazy movement. You know, he's not throwing a Mariano Rivera cutter up there, right? Like he's throwing gas to blow it past people. That's the whole deal, right? And it sets up the, you know, it sets up the curveball, etc. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as worried about it. I just want to see something other than him giving up home runs. So I'm, it's spring training, him, Hadavi, everybody have been very clear that he's ramping up and they expect him to be able to get up to that level by the time opening day rolls around. And you can always ask yourself, right, especially because he did not have the normal spring last year, is he even letting it loose right now? Like, is he reaching back and, th- you know, throwing as hard as he can? We, we don't know, right? We don't know these things. Uh, he could just be taking it easy, getting his innings, building up that arm strength, and he's going to cut it loose, you know, the last outing of spring training and head into the season, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm all for, like, waiting and seeing. I'm, I, I swear, I'm not, like, freaking out about it. Um, but it's just like, it just seems every outing is it. Home run, home run, you, you know? So, like, we, we need... I just want to see a different result. His presence at the back end of that bullpen is extremely important, and him being that guy is really the glue that ties together the whole quantity, loading up on these interesting arms, putting people in the pitch lab, trying to kind of piece together the bullpen by making adjustments and getting guys back to different parts of their career, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, So, it's just very important, I think, for this team, which is why I mean, I, I asked get, the question I get the, the potential place. for a concern. I'm not going to sit here and yeah. be like, "Oh, I don't get it." I get it, right? But I just don't think this should be used as an example to back anyone's concern. I'm not saying you have a huge concern, but in general, let's let's see how he looks on March 20th. Let's see how he looks on March 25th when the season is days away. Until then, we got to just let it play out. I think that's where we are. I'm going to set a reminder on my phone. March 20th, yell at Brendan <laughs> about Craig that's Kimball. Fine. Got go it. For it. That's, go for it, yeah. I yeah. mean, here's what I'll say. If he's throwing 94 the day before the season starts, then I will be concerned. How about that? But I'm not going to be concerned now at all. we still got time to go. Yeah. All right. I think that is uh, certainly fair. I, I, I just, like I said, I, I really wasn't trying to project concern in the question, but I, I do think that you know, especially if fans are out there, uh, especially if they haven't been able to see the games for a particular reason, just saying, uh, I do think that it's, you know, fair to ask, like, okay, these are the two, I think, top, you know, one, two options at the back end of that bullpen, and not, you know, not exactly the the results that you, you want to be seeing. So for as much as we're gushing about how good Alec Mills looks, how great Kyle Hendricks looks, how good Yu Darvish looks, you know, I think it's at least fair to 
take a, a moment to discuss like where these guys are at and you know what we're thinking about it but yeah like i we, we gotta we gotta wait and see uh and i think those are yep you know, uh, especially with Wick, like, you know, I think with how good he was last year and how effective he was in so many of those situations when Joe Madden put him into, you know, really high levered spots, I think he's he's definitely earned the benefit of the doubt uh, to at least wait until we're watching regular season Major League Baseball games uh, and, and seeing what those results are. But I think as far as I can tell, that that is what we have for you on this particular episode. When we come to you guys next, we will be about exactly two weeks from opening day in Milwaukee. I think they're still calling it Miller Park this season, and then it's like American Life Insurance or something stupid park the next year. I don't know. Whatever they're calling that dump, it's fine doesn't matter nobody cares um two weeks so like I like I always say like it's 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 fun in a way to be able to watch these games relax a little bit just kind of take in what these players are doing have fun with them being mic'd up and they're laughing and palling around etc right and we can have a good time uh but We are about two and a half weeks, folks, from strapping it on and this thing getting going for real. And I think if you know Brendan and I at all, there is no fun to be had once the Chicago Cubs regular season starts. It is time for business. Time to strap it on have a good bit of that to take care of after a disappointing 2019 season. So, Enjoy these last couple weeks of spring training, focusing uh, on a lot of the stuff that we have been talking about. I think there, there, there's still uh, some interesting stuff going on here. Keep an eye on Chatwood and Mills. Keep an eye on guys like Lester and Quintana. Uh, we talked last episode about that 26 roster spot. Descalso, Miller, who continues to look good, had himself a nice game on Sunday. Could the Cubs carry a third catcher? We shall see, and we will see if these last couple weeks of spring training out in Arizona inform any of those decisions. But when we come to you next, you have two weeks to get yourself ready for Chicago Cubs baseball. And with that, actually, I should have said this at the beginning, but I'm going to state it now. We talk about it a lot, so I I don't think it's uh, something that I'm necessarily glossing over. But this, this past weekend, we got Pat Hughes on the radio for the first time this spring. And my goodness, Brendan, it's it's difficult to explain how happy hearing one man's voice on the radio describing trousers makes me as a human being. <laughs> but for a for a brief moment, right when Pat Hughes is describing pants, uh, everything just feels okay in the world, and it's so wonderful to have Pat Hughes back in our lives, uh, and I I can't wait until the 26th of March when he says Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air from Miller Park in Milwaukee. It's the Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers opening day for the 2020 season. So that is what we have for you. As always, thank you for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. Thank you guys for participating on Twitter. And as I said the last time, we've seen a lot of those really nice reviews uh, come in on the iTunes store. Can't tell you how much we appreciate that. Uh, Brendan and I exchange messages about those reviews, and it's uh, really mind-blowing to us sometimes the amount of support that you guys give us and just how nice you guys are uh, about what we're doing here and and, and the show. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you.
you for listening, uh, and we will talk to you again. We're back two episodes a week, so we will talk to you in the middle of this week. And as always, it's your home speaking, and I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, could you get that blueberry that rolled under the fridge last week? It's throwing my feng shui off. Second thing, bundle your home and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and we could save money. Lastly, I know you were thinking of painting the nursery back to off white, but I'm actually feeling this baby blue. Didn't think it was my color, but I am pulling it off. Geico for bundling made easy. Go to geico.com today. Go Cubs! I've been riding a motorcycle for 52 years. I started having back pain that turned into a knee pain. I couldn't even sit on the motorcycle. I was like, oh, man, am I going to have to give up riding bikes? Kaiser Permanente, they decided I needed a hip replacement. So I was going to do it through outpatient surgery. <laughs> Panned out great. Recovered overnight. Was home by 11 o'clock the next morning. I'm glad I made the choice for Kaiser Permanente. I'm enjoying life. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, Mid-Atlantic States, 2101, East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people asked me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.